Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. A listener recently contacted us, a guy named David Brooks. And to your knowledge, Hunter, are you familiar with in any way David Brooks? I'm not. Would you tell that to a lawyer? I would. Okay. It doesn't matter because this is more of a what the fuck moment. But um, he said your voice sounds a lot like David Foster Wallace. Now, that's a really interesting observation because although that late author is kind of well known, it's not like a ton of people know what his speaking voice sounds like. I didn't. I, I had to go on YouTube, actually. I um, didn't know. Yeah. and, and Okay. For, hear so him. That's number one. What's even weirder is that two days prior to his comment, I sent you what must have seemed like a totally random text, right? Yes. And we've never discussed Wallace or his writing. Is that no. correct, Mr. Ginn? Mr. Prosecutor, <laughs> I do swear that that is the truth. We have never discussed David Foster Wallace. His works are more, more important than the sound of his speaking voice. Mm. <laughs> That's amazing. So out of general curiosity and, and also reading this great humor column in a fairly recent issue of New Yorker magazine about Wallace's Infinite Jest book, I texted you, have you ever read Infinite Jest? So that's a coincidence on a very weird level because we don't talk about Wallace. And I am in awe of David Brooks who brought this up to us. I think it's awesome. It is. It's, uh, it, it's affirming. But the text you know, I sent like, you was definitely a what the fuck moment, right? I mean, yes. Be, you know, in terms of the coincidence here, what the yeah, fuck? You know, it's, it's pretty off the charts. Yeah, it, it's what the fuck. But it's what we hope radical research would become. Well, I mean, it's an appropriate thing to open this show with a what the fuck experience because the subject of this episode's dissection is like total what the fuck musical material. Yes. Come with us to New Jersey and meet the creatures Plotkin and Dubin, collectively known as old. So um, my discovery of old actually coincides with uh, probably the first six months that I was into metal, into extreme music. Um, I grew up in a little town about 50 miles west of Savannah called Statesboro, Georgia, which is, for the most part, a southeastern backwater. Um, but there's a college there, and there were a lot of uh, music fans at that college in the early 90s. Um, in fact, there was a really great station called WBGS. Um, every Sunday afternoon, um, there was a show called The Dr. Death Show. I would call in every Sunday and request um, Entomb Stranger Eons. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there was this great uh, record store, too, called Peppermint. And they, like, literally in 1991 in, in southeast Georgia, they had a grind yeah. course. Did you say Peppermint? Uh, the Peppermint? Was that the Peppermint? Peppermint pep pep Records. The Peppermint. Go ahead. Sorry. Mama, will you take me to Peppermints with my last <laughs> money? <laughs> I sound like Foghorn Leghorn. But, <laughs> but, but they, like, they had a, a grindcore section of the, the store, and they had like every Roadrunner, Earache. They had like some early century media stuff. And it was really pretty progressive. And like that's, that was kind of the, like, the crucible of metal for me. And they had this grind crusher poster. And it had, oh. um, uh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It had like necroticism, had um, forced of equilibrium, uh, low flux tube, condemned, um, and, and, and uh, clandestine. 
So hold on, hold on. What you're telling me is your introduction to their music was colostomy grab bag. Yeah. That's weird because that's mine. Okay. <laughs> really? Yeah. I'm like, God damn it, man. I, we need to do a show about <laughs> things we, we don't have in common. There aren't a lot of them. short, but we need to do one to prove it. But yeah. I'll, that's, see, I didn't know that. That's, that's interesting. You know, the Grind Crusher comp too, not to get off from too much of a tangent, but that thing is a really good comp. It's, it's, a, it's one of the few comps I keep, even though all the other stuff's available on like proper records or I just don't want, you know. Can I tell you my Grind Crusher comp story real quick? I love any, I love any story that has anything to do with Grind Crusher. So let's, okay. let's well, this one has something to do with, my, with Grind Crusher and my grandmother. Dude, I swear to the listeners, because this is shocking me too. Here's another coincidence. We didn't talk about this before doing an old lady driver's episode. We, we didn't. That's, I, I swear. Are you making this shit up, Janie? Come on. I, You're worse yeah, in the background here. I'm, the I'm you can call, call my mom after we get done and ask her. I'm asking your she wife right now, but okay. Well. I had my biology homework. Was it biology? I don't think it was biology. Anyway, I had my homework stolen from a kid in my homeroom class. And so I went to get it back from him, and he wouldn't give it back to me. And so um, a dust-up ensued, okay? So we both wind up in trouble. The other kid um, is the instigator, so he gets in-school suspension. I, I, so anyway, I got away with just a little corporal punishment. So my parents both show up to the paddling, okay? Takes place in the principal's office at the beginning of the school day. And my dad was like, he looks at the principal and my dad said, Hubert, beat the hell out of him. And <laughs> you know, my dad, you know, that that's yeah. something that he say to a principal. So anyway, he, uh, he could, he just beat the shit out of me with a, with a paddle that had some holes in it for Damn. aerodynamic effect. Yeah. They did that even in your day. I mean, you're, you know, you're younger than I am. Yeah. I'm surprised. Still, I mean, but you know, these are the draconian, disciplinary practices it was the backwater southern georgian south yeah it's you know so anyway i had a doctor's appointment in savannah that afternoon and my mom couldn't get off from work so my grandmother took me and i'm all like i'm still like really pissed off at my parents and at the principal and everything so we get down to the doctor's appointment there was do you remember the the record chain coconut records yeah yeah vaguely okay, so those are coconut records in savannah and um i like i went and um Granny was like the most accommodating person as far as I was concerned. Like I was always right. She was always on my side and she was like, and she literally had that voice. She would, when I would go to her house, she would say, Hunter, come over here and give your granny some sugar. <laughs> so anyway, she took me to coconut records. Sounds like Medea or something. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> and she was like, pick out whatever tape you want, whatever CD and, and I'll get it for you. And so I'm rifling through the cassettes and there's the grind crusher comp. And I was like, this is what I want. And so she bought it for me and I, it opens with chapel of ghouls, right? Yes. Okay. I remember that. Oh, uh, but anyway, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's a hell of a way to open a comp. That's about, that's yeah. Easily the, the best morbid angel moment. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, and arguable, so, but okay, come on. It's hard to top for sure. And, and in so the context way, of being grind crusher. And that being was, bought by your grandmother. And bought by my grandmother. And old was on it. And old yeah. is old lady drivers. The, yeah. mo the most trouble did I she ever drive you there? Did she drive you there? She did drive me there. 
that's the best story. I can't even believe we didn't talk about this before we planned this episode. That's the, the most trouble I ever got into, like with my grandmother and like, and my record buying that same year, that summer, um, I was like, I just wanted to hear the um, helmets um, strap it on so badly. And hmm. it was on, it was on AMREP and it was kind of hard to find. And I knew there was so much buzz about them. Was that the first so, one? Yeah. yeah. There was a huge buzz. I bought that. I liked it for a while and then I got tired of them, but, but I, that's the best one. Cause it's so much raw. It's so badass. It is. Yeah, I love that record. But anyway, yeah. so I actually got her to write a check to amphetamine reptile and, <laughs> order it. and they, 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 so they didn't have it because they were in the middle of this bidding war and meantime was about to come out. So instead of that, they sent me the dope guns and fucking in the street compilation. Oh, wow. And that showed up and my mom opened it. And <laughs> like, what is this? And I was like, well, granny ordered it for me. And like, she actually went back through, she went to the bank and got statements and saw that my grandmother had written a check to amphetamine. amphetamine reptile. <laughs> She's like, She's like, ah. no, no, red, like no red flags went up. Right. You just literally <laughs> wrote the check. He's like, I don't have a problem with the reptile, but why yeah, is he on amphetamines? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, like my grandmother actually kind of had a pivotal influence on my music listening. God, I'll say, I think Grind Crusher is so great. Like I was saying, it's a very keepable comp, even though it, there's nothing like exclusive on it. No, it's a, it's a relic of the era. You know, it's a, it's a really great survey of that, that time in, in metal and in heavy music. Yeah. Oh, totally. It was a gateway. I think that in the same way that the first At Death's Door was. Yeah, that, that was pretty formative for me because I knew a lot of the bands at the time or liked a handful of them as well, had albums. And then it opened me to, to some new stuff. And I think, uh, well, I know that Old was one of those. And I went back and got Old Lady Drivers. Low Flux Tube wasn't out yet, right? It, by the time that I got the Grind Crusher comp, it was out. Okay, but it, I got the Grind Crusher comp in early '92. I remembered them being on that poster with those other bands, right? And I, I bought Force of Equilibrium, Condemned, and Low Flux Tube within like a two or three week period. And I remember thinking, like, what is metal? <laughs> like, I'm so confused. Yeah, and that's but you, but it's kind of in a in a very captivating way because you're sort of attracted to all these things, right? It's like, ooh, yeah, this is I mean, good in this like way, and like, I know why I like this. And here's something interesting that I really want to get in, you know. So it that that era had a lot of bands that just were pulling you in, and just metal was exploding at the time in terms of like subgenre tentacles. It was just sure. fucking growing so many of them and so quickly. So old lady drivers, yeah. I mean, how familiar are you with the first album, the one that came out in 1988, and incidentally, one of the first earache records? I've never actually owned a physical copy of it. Um, I, I hunted it for a long time and could never find it. Yeah. Uh, and so it, anyway, in the the age of YouTube, I've gone back and listened to it a good bit. I, I, you know, I'll fall on the sword here. You know, I, I need to commit and buy a copy because I mean, I'm such a fan of the band, and it's a huge part of the story, though. As we'll find out, they, they changed pretty quickly from, from the first record to the second. Yeah, you know what's curious about Old Lady Drivers, the album? I mean, this is, this is obviously stuff, for people that don't know, they're listening, it's, it's inspired by, you know, Napalm Death would probably be primary. I would, I would say some SOD for the humor aspect. And oh, yeah, kind of sure, yeah. Really musically impressive, but, you know, it can get kind of goofy too. But still, it, it, it leans on the side of being great, you know what I mean? Instead sure. of... Instead of like, it's not spastic blur or sore throat, the kind of more novelty bands. 
Yeah, yeah. Those had its place. I'm I'm fascinated with all that sort of stuff, but um, yeah, I, no, I understand. Me too. And you know, there's probably some repulsion in there and that kind of thing. But how did how to describe old lady drivers' difference though? Really, I mean, colostomy grab bag, the one on Grind Crusher, is the probably the weirdest song on old lady I, I, drivers. Well, I was about to say, I, I think there's a depth that will be you know fleshed out later on that is maybe a little absent from some of their influences. Like their their weird tendencies already are starting to emerge. Yeah, and definitely and definitely how far they pushed noise. I'm not going to say effects. I don't. They, they didn't hadn't quite either gotten enough money for effects yet, or you know figured out how to use them or whatever. But um, on on the first album, it's like they're pushing things really far in terms of the heaviness, the fastness. Some of Alan Dubin's vocals are spit sure. out so yeah. fast, <laughs> but in in a very percussive way. It's not lazy. No, not at all. It's not just some young kid messing around. Yes, technically it's some kid messing around because they were quite young and they were in the basement somewhere in New Jersey, suburban New Jersey. But there's a, a deliberateness to it and an art to it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have a story about discovering Grind Crusher and therefore old and therefore a colostomy grab bag. <laughs> um, that's even near that interesting. I think I got some like promo of it in the in the bargain bin at the <laughs> record store who got it as a promo like it was recent it was like yeah, yeah that's really not that interesting i still have that copy do you still have your copy oh yeah. yeah yeah that's one to keep forever i think it's so good speaking of your grandma man we're gonna listen to total hag <laughs> sexy croon of Alan Dubin. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, Uh-oh, point uh, counterpoint uh, time. <laughs> it's amazing. And that like that little pensive clean guitar break 
anticipates Dillinger escape plan by about 10 years. Huh. That's awesome. I see at that time I had the thought of exit 13. I think we're more directly related, but weren't Dillinger from New Jersey. They are from New Jersey. Uh, You know, they loved it. Oh, absolutely. Their mothers bought them the grind crusher cassette. Like any, any good mother from New Jersey would. Hell yeah. So old lady drivers, the band and the album were their precursor was a band called regurgitation, which guitarist James Plotkin had formed and was in. Their drummer was a guy named Ralph Pimentel, who ended up on the first Old Lady Drivers album. Uh, so there's more link there. Their bassist was a guy named Henry Vegian. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Who went on to be in Revenant. <laughs> do you remember yeah. Revenant? Of course. Did, do you like yeah, that? They were like sort of like semi-tech death, like semi-tech prog death band. Yeah, I mean, they were like a, a less intense, more trying to be more technical morbid angel maybe you know a little little thrashier i I think their their hearts were in the right place yeah i've never grasped onto that album fully i want to like it more than i do same we're not really covering regurgitation very much but they were just you know this obsessed with thrash band of these little kids and and uh, basically um very cool could have been on like new renaissance maybe uh, or wild rags but yeah the old lady drivers album there, there you go it's like they were obsessed with things like bathrooms and tracheotomies and lepers and colostomies and like <laughs> anything to do with old ladies and how silly they seem. It was, it was the sort of stuff that 15 year old kids raised on, you know, SOD and napalm death might find hilarious. And I think a lot of it still works. That clean break actually doesn't work for me. It sounds goofy instead of effective. Yeah. I guess in terms of where it takes me, but you know, we're all different, sure. but it was, yeah, it was this more serious ultra fast grind core of napalm death inspiration that I think is the greatest part of that. Just how completely and utterly fast it's barked out. Uh, with his vocals near the end there, that's like almost without peer. Let's listen to more because they had some weird moments too that were creeping in. Dubin's voice certainly carried over into their future material. And James Block into this day hates this album. <laughs> James, you're, you're awesome on it. This is how it has to be, right? It, it, it's, this is how it has to be. Because old ladies always break their hips. It's like if Bathory in the Under the Sign of the Black Mark era was covering <laughs> Dead Kennedys. <laughs> That's amazing. But you know what? Oh. You know what? It's also weird about that is his voice there and just that that cadence and how fast it's fired at you, you know, machine gun style, reminded me of how um, way back in the day, like back when they were a contemporary band, somebody played me Dead Kennedys, and I was 
what, 12, 11? I don't know. And I think the, the heaviest I, or the fastest I think I'd ever heard it was like first Slayer, first Metallica. So I was 13. I was 13. And, and that's how Dead Kennedy sounded to me the first time I heard them. They were, the, they were removed from what I knew as fast. I liked it. And then I realized in hindsight how not great it was, even though, are you a DK fan? Not, not really. Yeah. I love that comparison. Like the uh, battery meets Dead Kennedy thing. Yeah. There was also a cover of Eric Clapton's Cocaine on that album, which I so love because it, there's actually a story like it's, it's, there's no coincidence here along the theme of this long show. But um, the, the cover band I was in in junior high, Intruder, played it like a Valentine's dance. I, I'm loving this story already. Oh, you haven't heard this one? No, and I didn't know you were what in a cover band called Intruder. Oh, it's a good night. It's uh, something you need to know because, you know, we were before the Tennessee thrash band, man. We should have sued him. These guys well, were, we got, we were excited about getting gigs and this is like probably what, 1982 war machine was brand new by kiss. So yeah, it was 82. I was 12 and I'm in this band and we get to, we get a gig. We get a gig at this Valentine's day dance at this school, high school. That's so the towns it serves are so small that they kind of combine the names in the high school name. So it's very small town, Iowa. We're playing a Valentine's day dance. We don't give a fuck if it's Valentine's day. It's a gig. And we're excited. We're a pretty good band. We're a trio. Like I'm bass player, singer. There, there was a guitarist. There was a drummer. Power trio. Power trio, baby. And um, uh, we did Sin City by ACDC, War Machine by Kiss, and Cocaine by Eric Clapton. And this was like these junior high girls were coming up to us asking us to play ballads. And like we, we, had, we had no idea. We, didn't, we just didn't take any account that we were at a Valentine's Day dance. <laughs> it was a game. Right. No ballads. It was just all this fucking really heavy shit for 12-year-olds to be cranking out. Um, I don't have no idea how good or bad it would sound now, but it, it was okay. It was passable. I mean, we'd all laugh at it now for sure. Anyway, yeah, it's like, like Cocaine was the easiest song to cover because it was so simple. And thus, you had like bands like mine and Old, when they were in their teens, playing a song about a drug they probably didn't even have any experience with. Because, I mean, I hadn't even had my first beer yet. And I'm singing about cocaine. <laughs> I have no idea if that ever caused any trouble for them legally. If they got Clapton's okay, I kind of doubt it. Yeah, like his people were sent like like this old lady drivers demo and like oh these guys want to do your cocaine song. The people in publishing were like looking at this, thinking yeah that sounds like a great idea for Eric. We'd love to get the royalties off this fucked up band. No way that never happened. I'm not sure what else needs to be said. They did they followed up old lady drivers with a three song demo, but it was more along the lines of that stuff. This was in 19. 90 and then in 91 this weird ass album called low flux tube comes out yeah misanthropic cold hostile yeah but like also like psychedelic and otherworldly and curious Um, and searching totally man yep yeah i mean this album sounds like it's beamed in from another universe 
And it's three, year, it's three years on, and I, I got to check their ages, and we, maybe we will in our notes or whatever, but 19? Yep, the 19 now, 20? Yeah, yeah, it's insane. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it, I would say like, it, the, it, the oldest early 20s. But the maturation's uh, incredible. It reminds me of some of that early Voivod maturation in terms of how quickly they were making leaps in, in like a matter of a year. Well, in this like, case, it was three years, so okay. But like they're almost like writing a new musical language for this record. There, there are like almost no guitar chords. Um, yeah. it's, it's just like Jim Plotkin kind of reinvented the instrument for this record. And I mean, that sounds like hyperbole, especially for a record that's probably, I mean, it's a historically minor record. But I mean, this record is full of invention. And I mean, going back to like to listen to it for the purposes of this show, like I realized how innovative this record is, like, you know, all these years later. Yeah, they're like an interior Godflesh. Introverted Godflesh, I guess. Yeah, uh, where yeah, Godflesh goes for the throat. Yeah. Uh, they're a lot old, more malevolent. They're a lot more apocalyptic. I think I think old just kind of wants to chill. They probably have discovered cocaine or drugs like it. Yes. And sometimes people, I think in hindsight or even back then, would kind of throw around the industrial term. And that just sounded it's that it, makes industrial meaningless. This is not industrial. This is something it's new. It's not industrial at all. It has a drum machine on it. Right. Yeah, you're like you can't reduce this album to a category. Um, and yeah, you're right. It it, it renders the term useless. Um, what's also interesting about this record is that Jason Everman of Nirvana and Soundgarden fame plays bass on it. And Mindfunk fame. And and Mindfunk. So he yeah, he landed in Nirvana briefly. Famously on the cover of Bleach, but not on the album. Not, I don't even know how much recording there is of him in terms of studio. I think none. Yeah, none. And he was, yeah, he was the um, same thing with Soundgarden, but no album cover, right? He was, yeah, he was between um, Hero and um, and uh, Ben Shepard, kind of filling in the gap between um, Loud Loud and Love and, and Bad Motorfinger. Motor yeah, right, right. And then he lands in old. Don't ask how or why. Don't, but, don't but, ask how because we don't know. We'll leave it at that. He, he then goes on to Mindfunk and by extension sort of becomes friends with Mind Over 4. And we mentioned him in that episode. Yes. Wheels within wheels, man. <laughs> yeah, so that's an interesting, so that's the lineup. Yeah, that's a, such an interesting thing. And it, it, and it had this really groovy album cover. <laughs> like it looked like, you know, some early Zappa or Jefferson Airplane gone to hell. You know, ladder. Yeah. Yeah, pretty great. And then like the, the inside uh, artwork is not great. There's one of like Fred and Wilma from Flintstones or something. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yes. I mean, it's rendered strange and semi surreal, pseudo surreal. Doesn't quite make it, but yeah, the album cover is awesome. So let's listen to Outlive. This is the first song on Low Flux Tube from 1991, Earache Records.
so worthy of having that classic earache logo on it. Absolutely. Hey, but tell me if someone like released that now that it wouldn't still sound contemporary. <sighs> That's a thought I've had about them. And I think I've, I've liked this about them over the years. It always sounded like they're beaming this, you know, from like many, many, many years in the future. Totally. And now that we're like, what, 30 years on from these albums? Yeah. It damn still near. sounds like that. I know. So that's the thing, like in 2020, you know, in, in 2020, it'll be the same. In 2050, it'll be the same. In 3000, it, these guys will probably always sound futuristic. Jeez. I wonder. Let's get on with it. I'm having so much fun. Are you? Having a, a ball. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the next song is the third one on the album. Citient Null is the name of the song. C-I-T-I-E-N-T. Do you think that's like a wordplay on sentient? Or sentient, it- yeah. Sentient. I do. City yeah. sentient? City sentient? No. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, like uh, futuristic urban sentient. Blade Runner. Something. Let's rock it. Yeah.
So it's malevolent and hateful, but in this kind of, um, I don't know, psychedelic like surrealist way. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's still very heavy, very malevolent, even misanthropic the way Godflesh is. Cause we, we kind of brought them up. It's in, because it's in that world, although it's not, it's not the same feeling. I, and I think the textures have to be talked about. This is like, this is sculpture, you know? There, there are a couple of things I want to talk about with this. One is exactly the texture. They're like the, the ideas themselves are probably fairly simple, but the way that they yep. sculpt bounds yep. makes it so much more complex. Yeah, I talked to Jim in 90, let's see, 92. So between this album and the next one. And they, I think they had just done what, Who Are You in the Studio or something. And they had just got off a tour with the Young Gods. Uh, That's a good, good pairing. Young and old. I hope, I hope they called ah. that the Young and Old Tour. <laughs> young Gods and old ladies. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I talked to him for the first issue of my fanzine. And um, I, I dug that out because I, I thought he said some interesting things. I, at that time, I probably didn't ask any interesting questions because I was a terrible interviewer. But... Um, <laughs> He said, it's good that we use a lot of effects on some parts, but then we do go way too overboard on some things. We find ourselves just having to put certain racks away because we just overused it a little bit too much sometimes. And this is like while they had been writing Sleestack, the third album. You know what? <laughs> yeah, because they restrained themselves on that album. Back to the quote, yeah. We have this mad obsession to push buttons and twist knobs. There will always be effects there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> history, history bore that out, right? <laughs> There's also like a oddly mathematical quality to this era of, of old. It's definitely angular. And I don't like to talk about the next album until we get to the next album, just kind of taking this stuff as it evolves. Right. But, right. but it, it, it's a lot more angular than Sleestack. It, Sleestack yeah, yeah, it is. Absolutely. a lot more drifting. It's kind of okay with itself. This one's still fucked up. This, and this is where you hear the pent up old lady driver kids. <laughs> sure. You know, no, there's still plenty of, plenty of anger running through this album. Oh, yeah. He's still barking it out. They're still just bashing away. I mean, that, that's kind of the intent. But again, covered, drenched in this like psychedelic covering. It's just. Yeah. yeah colorful spite. Colorful spite. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, the next track is also off a of low flux tube. Um, this one's um, called Marzaran. This is like one of my favorite old uh, songs, period. Why is that? Uh, uh, it, it, well, when we get into the song, like you'll see like the, there, there's like these deep electronic textures, this like psychedelic side to the band that will be explored um, further on the next record. Um, and, and two, like it, I, it's weirdly memorable to me. Like, I hate to say that old is catchy, but like there are parts of this that are catchy to me. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause we, uh, we talked about that last episode with Ordo Adkeo by um, Mayhem and um <laughs> You know, there there's certain great music out there that's like not catchy at all. Like, and that you you don't want it to be catchy. I don't want cremation from Canada to be catchy. You know what I mean? <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the funniest thing anybody said about Jay Reed today. <laughs> J- Dude, Jay Reed would probably hunt me down if I <laughs> talked glibly about his work. Dude, he's got fucking Hello Kitty sneakers, man. Don't don't let him. I, yeah, my Jay Reed, show me mercy. <laughs> Hunter's a good guy, man. Uh, he he truly loves blasphemy and Beherit and nuclear death. I mean, come I love on. all that shit. I uh, yeah. I'm, please, I'm, please back away. Put away the cleaver. I like a, I like the Conqueror record. 
Um, you have a picture of your daughter holding the cremation CD. <laughs> I made that happen probably, one day. You probably shouldn't, like, Do you want to publicize that? that? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Let's use there that. Probably, there are probably laws in certain states against that. <laughs> I'll talk you into it by the time we air it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Marzaran. Duran, Duran, man. Marzaran. Hunter selected that one for us to play tonight. I gave you the job of these snippets in uh, Low Flux Tube. I'm so glad you picked that, man. I'm not crazy, right? Like when I said that that was that it had some catchy moments. Yeah, like that last sort of yeah. 25% that we listened to out of the snippet. It brought to mind so many different sorts of bands. And I, and I hate to think that way with old. I, I let, I, old is just old. Right. But I think we naturally as sort of animals kind of make comparisons. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I thought, here, here, here's the three that fired through my mind and this, see if any of these stick because they don't. D. Kreutzen. Right. Fear Factory. Yeah. Cattle Decapitation. Oh, wow. Because okay, of just the vocal strain into such extremity in terms of like, and, and control. Because I think the guy in Cattle Decapitation is one of the greatest extreme vocalists out there right now. And probably ever. And, and his thing is control and depth. Dubin doesn't have a ton of depth, but his attack is professional, man. You know what I mean? It's not. Oh yeah, no, no doubt. I don't know how yeah. else to describe it. I love the guy. He's a yeah. master. He's a master. 
He re- no, he really is. He is a master of his craft. You have to love the fucked Factory, up noise vocals to, to get into it, but yeah. The, the Fear Factory comparison is like really, really on the money. I, I actually never thought about that, but like Fear Factory was one of, the, one of the first extreme bands that I ever heard to introduce major keys into extreme metal. Yeah, that's a good um, call. And, and kind of just that piercing, It's they're not pinch harmonics, but they sound like it. Just these yeah, high- no, those are natural harmonics, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, um, they work in this higher register of like harmonic stuff that, that they play with as a, as a rhythmic and sometimes melodic device. And yeah, that's very cool. And then I think the Kreutzen, just because of the screaming. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the screaming. Because even in like the catchiest moments, Dan convinced he was screaming. That's what we talked about when we talked about it in an earlier Yeah, episode. but think about like the harmonic kind of framework that threads through the Kreutzen's career too. Like, I mean, sure. like, their music is characterized at least in part by, like, really imaginative guitar playing. And, and, and in the early days, and I would count some of October File with this, ferocity. Oh, absolutely. And Plotkin yeah. plays with a ferocity and an invention and a creativeness that I think puts him in the league with all these great musicians and, and, oh, and guys that are really top, top notch, actually. I um, hold Plotkin in tremendous regard. But in Marzoran, you actually get something that approaches like a, an actual chord progression earlier in the song before all the, you know, the, the psychedelic solar flares. Like it, it actually sounds like a riff, which, which is pretty atypical in like post debut old lady drivers. Old yeah, whatever you totally, totally. Another great point. Yeah. I, I applaud you. Um, <laughs> well, thank you, sir. No, I really do. Can we hear... Plotkin and Dubin incarnate at this point. Is there any appearance of that? No. I can't hear Plotkin incarnate at all. We're not going to talk much about kind of, I, O'Malley is and was a friend. I, I, I mean, I hung out with him a lot back in the, like the late 90s, early 2000s. Love the guy. Um, proudly turned him on to Holy Terror and DVC from nice. Florida and um, something else. He didn't quite much like uh, Vandergraaf Generator when I was tripping on them pretty hard. <laughs> um, but anyway, great guy. And he went on to be in Conate, of course, with uh, Jim and Alan. And I'm just not a huge fan of Conate. <laughs> you know, I have like. And, and you have this stuff. great, great. Hunter has this amazing story. <laughs> this is a night of stories, boys. And, um, and that one girl in fucking Connecticut who listens to it. Um, you have this great story about buying and returning something. We, uh, I think, we, as music listeners and somewhat collectors, we like kind of buy a lot of stuff and then you just shed because you listen to so much and you can only listen to so much in a, in a life. So you shed and that's just part of the journey. So this is the best story I've ever heard about shedding something from your collection. <laughs> if we can call it. Getting to that point. It never made it into the collection. <laughs> so, tell your story. <laughs> so um, I, I was on my way back from school it was like Christmas, and um, I stopped uh, in Charlotte um, to go to Manifest, and I just I just wanted to buy a bunch of stuff. And um, part of the haul was, um, and I was like, I was getting really into experimental music at the time. Um, and yeah, I, you I, were. I, yeah, you were. <laughs> and I always really, I always read O'Malley's blog, and I always had such respect for him. Really loved his writing at Maniacs because it seemed like he was coming from a completely different place. I'd heard the first Conate record and it didn't do a whole lot for me. You know, I, I guess I was in this sort of like, you know, this like holiday fever and I was, you know, all jacked up to go home. 
Meeting some really, cool. really slow fucking <laughs> slow music. So anyway, I, I, you know, I get my, I get my records, and I'm going, I'm going out to the car. I'm like, so what I'm gonna, what am I gonna listen to on the ride home? And I'm rifling through these things. <laughs> I pull out the Conate, and I just look at it for a minute, and I just went back in the store and returned it. I mean, I, I knew that I'd made a mistake. I was still in the parking lot, and I was just like, yeah, this is, this is wrong. I don't need this. <laughs> so you just, bought, you just bought it. I just, I don't know, man. I had this intuition that that record was not long for this world in, in, in my hands, at least. Maybe, maybe, dude. Maybe that's just all you needed. Like, it affected your life, right? <laughs> right. You listen to music because it takes us somewhere and somewhere that we want to remember later and get back to. And we've kind of gotten back to it by telling the story all these years. I guess so. Yeah, so thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Connor. For Hunter's wonderful life experience. <laughs> That was Things Viral? That was Things Viral. Pick it up on Discogs. You can always return it right away. Just like, I'm going to get that in the mail and like return it the minute I get it. <laughs> Just, Just go to the post office, open it up, and return it. Let's move on. <laughs> At this time, uh, old women, I don't know. I'm not sure when they recorded their Black Sabbath cover of Who Are You. I, but, yeah, I mean, it came out in 92. There, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like this was recorded outside of any session. I do too, because it just sounds that way. It does. And it's like Earache probably, you know, orchestrated this compilation. I, I, I tend to believe that, you know, these bands were sort of recruited for the, just the purpose, you know, the, or these songs were recruited for the purpose of this compilation. Yeah. I don't think they were recorded in sessions. I'm glad you mentioned it like that, because my thought on this comp is that of all the great bands on it, because it's just loaded with amazing early earache bands. Uh, very few of the versions I, th I think are any good. And I'm like, you know, that comes from being a huge Sabbath fan and either a fan or appreciator of all these bands. I mean, and I never, I never liked the confessor cover. No, no. Cause, cause Scott is horribly off key on hole in the sky, yeah. which is arguably like their best, the best Sabbath song. You could say that you could argue that. M maybe right. hole in yeah. the sky. Yeah. It, so, yeah it's great. It's, it's amazing. And like uh, Scott sounds terrible. Uh, yeah. And then what, what else we have? Um, oh God, the brutal truth is terrible. Yeah. So he's phrasing on the vocals. I'm like, I'm glad he tried to be different, but it just, it got worse. Yeah. It yeah is, just, I most mean, of the stuff on this compilation just doesn't work. Yeah. And it's too bad because this was before tribute albums were like a, such a passe and boring thing. They were kind of a cool idea. And, and these bands doing that stuff made sense. And because Sabbath always had that element of progressiveness or just left fieldness or just doing something interesting and different. And all these bands have that. That's what they have in common. And it just right. failed yet. The band we speak of tonight, old by far the highlight. I like the Godflesh version of zero, the hero. Okay. I like the scorn version of the wizard. And these are bands I don't tend to love. Like this is not. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's yeah. But they're really imaginative. You know, they are, they're amazing. And by the way, the sleep really need to be on a Black Sabbath tribute album. <laughs> That's like a tautology, you know? <laughs> exactly. Like, right? That would, be, that would be like Rhino Bucket being on an ACDC. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> I know. I know. So, so that, yeah, anyway, <laughs> we're going to catch old sort of in the middle, like by old standards, of course, you, or if you know old, they're always going to just fuck with it. Right. And they fucked with yeah. this. They lengthened it. 
they, you know, they did the, you know, the, the stuff they had to do to make it recognizable. And they did that version really well, especially with that keyboard, that Mo. That's the thing. It's like, it kind of like actually captures the spirit of the original. Yeah. And just then, like mutates it in a fascinating way. Exactly. But then in the middle and then at the end, which we're going to listen, we're going to have like their experimental parts kind of bookending what you'll recognize as Black Sabbath, Who Are You? Uh, in this snippet we're going to play because to me this is like the greatness of that song is like it's bookended by these moments these passages that are just uh we're smoking 12 joints and this is (laughs) all of our effects it's it's you know prepare here we go Yeah, that's uh, that's a reason to buy Masters of Misery, basically. You can probably buy it for like ten cents. I know it's cheap. It's weird. I have the Japanese version. Uh, there was a later version that was a lot more common, just because it was U.S. and Europe distributed. Uh, right. I don't know if there's a track difference. I don't think so. But uh, yeah, they're cheap. It's weird. Uh, yeah. But maybe, maybe hey we don't think it has a ton of value beyond the, the old song. So um, that's just an amazing reason why old is great. I mean, that's a cover song and and really one of those rare cover songs where that is actually the band performing. It's one of their, it's one of their best songs, right? Yes. That's amazing. Well, they, they make it their own, which is really kind of, you know, in an, in an ideal world, that's the point of a cover song. Like Astronomy by Voivod, which was so nothing face, so Voivod, they were like, right. own that. And I, and I think old owns Who Are You? Totally. I mean, it's, you know, what you do, I, I guess, in, you know, in the perfect cover song scenario is you, you identify those genetic links and you, you know, you connect those, but like no two bands have the same holistic identity. And so, you, you know, you, you find the things that you have in common and then you sort of amplify the differences too. 
And I think we're ready to talk about this, right? I think that we probably need to move on. The musical dimensions of Sleestack. Uh, we're going to jump right into it and see where Old went after Low Flux Tube. This is a song called Two of Me, Parts 1 and 2, a snippet. So you had that really cool comparison earlier, uh, Dead Kennedys covering Battery, Battery covering Dead Kennedys, I'm not sure. When that song kicked in, it sounded to me like No Means No covering Helios Creed. <laughs> you had me at no, and then no means, <laughs> and then no means no, and then you threw in Helios Creed. Yeah, yeah, that I dig. I, and I can hear that. And what do those two bands do? They're like super creative rhythmically at least on the no means no side, and then like drenched in effects. So drenched exactly. in effects. Exactly. And I think in Helios Creed's case, drugs, which <laughs> makes me want to kind of read this, the, the second and final passage I'm going to read from this uh, otherwise kind of puerile interview I did with James Plotkin in 92. This is, this, is the, this is the end of the interview. I asked him if, do drugs influence old? 
<laughs> and his answer to that was, yeah, pretty much. I said, good. We were having a phone conversation. And he goes, we definitely wouldn't be able to write this kind of music if we were straight. Yeah, we love drugs. And he laughs. And then he goes, it pisses me off when people say drugs suck because they're just way too addictive and they totally bend reality way too much. But I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with tripping or smoking weed because it just really opens your mind to new experiences. And I'm like, yeah. And I can see how this music is made and hurrah to him. Yeah, perfect. But as Nancy Reagan said, say no to drugs. But I mean, I don't think Nancy Reagan liked old either. She was old. She was an old lady driver. I think she had a driver's she license. She probably drove. You know, <laughs> we'll, we'll play freak now. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll reel it in after we get back. How about that? All right. So you can already hear them moving into new directions. Like it's a really like melodic kind of ambient new wave um, sort of texture. And like the, the bends at the end there are like almost like conspicuously rocky, you know, like yeah. you don't get any kind of like concessions to that sort of thing on low flux tube. But Not at all. Yeah. It's a little looser. It's a little more developed. It, it, you know, it goes deeper with textures and tempos and, and elasticity, I guess. There's a new, yeah, elasticity is a really good word. There's a new bass player too called Herschel. Is it Herschel Gare? Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I think that's adding to all of this. Great point. I, I heard as we were listening to it, I told Hunter, Gary Newman. Totally. I think that's there. And the base is really, really critical to this because there's almost no sort of anchor otherwise. I mean, I mean, obviously you have, you know, the, the drums providing a rhythmic foundation, but like the, you know, the guitar work and the vocals are almost like ethereal and not tethered to any sort of gravitational force, you know? You describing that puts me in mind of Gigan. Oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Because there's almost, even with the drums sometimes, of course, they're, sometimes they're grinding and, and, and as tight and vice-like as that machine-like as that needs to be. But sometimes nothing is making sense. Nothing, it's, it's all held together, but it's really, really loose and sort of liquid. Yeah. Very precariously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, like, and, and I, I, I'll have to ask Eric from Gigan if he's into old. I'll bet he's into this album. This is, I hope so. Especially like knowing that. yeah, proclivity for effects. Yeah, yeah. They're like if Decrepit Birth wanted to like do an old tribute band or something like that. <laughs> and really take sure, it far. Sure that's in the making. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. So we listen to Freak now. We're going to listen to another one called Happy Tantrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, just so we can kind of move on to the next album after this. After Happy Tantrum, I find the album gets a little bit... Well, it gets weirder and even more experimental, if that's possible to believe. And then it just kind of disappears into long moments of like drift with, um, is it backwards through the Greedo compressor? Yeah, it, but that's got like some really, really interesting moments in it. But it, it is, it's like a series of moments. Like, I feel like maybe we kind of attended to the front end of this record, um, but that's really the most that's the, the easiest way to introduce someone who's not familiar with, with this, this record to this record. The turntables have turned. Allow me <laughs> to introduce myself to. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Now I think like later songs like glitch and ebb. Yeah. They're, they're a different facet of what we're the kind of stuff we're playing. And, and I they're think harder to fit into the, like the format of like this show. I I think we're giving people a fair representation of what this album sounds like and, you know, in, in it's, you know, it's full sort of textural spectrum. Yeah. But, fair, no, no, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I do. I also think that the back half of Sleestack really does point to formula in terms of like really willing to go somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. But let's listen to happy tantrum. Cause this is a highlight.
speaks for itself. I don't know what more there is to say unless you can dredge no. something up. No, words, words are inadequate. Definitely the best artwork of any old album. Oh, it's amazing. It's and like, since we already mentioned Voivod in this episode, we might <laughs> that this record was released in 1993 the year of outer limits and many many other great albums i'm, I'm told a sage kind of wandered through the the village i live in and told me this uh, yesterday <laughs> i'm like yeah i'll check out pleasure dome and elements it's cool 93 sounds cool <laughs> um really great imagery though this artwork it's it's by somebody named pitune uh p-i-t-o-u-n-e-t and and i got so interested in that and did a Google search. I've never looked this person up, but I've always admired this art greatly. Like I would love to frame this stuff. It's so, it's so good. Um, and a Google search brought up nothing on that name with, if you do Pitonean art <laughs> artwork. Really? Yeah. Which is so sad. It's so fantastic. I, I love the dude in what looks like a Petri dish looking at the scene before him and thinking, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, look at it. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually looking at it right now. <laughs> he's scratching his head. Have you yeah. seen the Petri dish before? Yeah. Yeah, like why why is it how did he get there? What happened? I don't know. <laughs> uh, a, a question for James Plotkin, I suppose. I suppose. We should have guests someday. Let's get into formula. I think the best way to do it is um unless there's more to say about Sleeve Stack, feel free to just do it. No, I don't I, no, I don't think so. Moving on, um, we are going to check out a few things from their final album, also released on Earache, uh, 1995's Formula. This album showed a pretty radical shift in sound, completely moved away from metal, completely moved away from extreme music. Um, Jeff uh, actually challenged me not to mention 80s era King Crimson uh, throughout the discussion of this record. That is going to be difficult. There are a lot of things. I got you because you just did. Yeah, well, anyway, okay. <laughs> and why do we say that? Like, what, you know, what are the elements about it? I um, because it's, like, it's based around these, like, motivic, melodic cells, um, a lot of repetition, kind of zen-like mood, things that all seem to be, like, kind of blueprinted by, like, this, this early 80s King Crimson kind of, like, zen rock, Yeah, you know? Yeah, but you knew it was also being beamed in from somewhere... Kind of awesome. beyond, I guess. Yes. Uh, it, it, it's definitely sophisticated in its production, in its performance. Uh, the writing formula gets better and better over the years. This is the one, th these have all aged really well for me, even the first album, uh, Old Lady Drivers. But this one is right now my favorite because I'm just finding all its layers. And I'm like, I, that I, yeah, it's amazing. I heard in 95. I listened to it plenty then. I had favorites then but I'm getting kind of into the songs that I sort of didn't connect with then one of which will play as the third snippet, but these first two, let's just play the first two in sequence and come back and talk about them. This is, um, this is a, some fun stuff. Last look open the album. It's a, I think it's a 12 minute song. And then a song called break you let's fucking weird out.
So once you get to know old um, better, that transition makes more sense. If you have just heard old for the first time, you, it's probably a shock to the system. The vocabulary has changed almost altogether. Um, all the guitar histrionics, the screeching vocals, they're gone. For the most part, the rhythmic angularity that helps define, especially uh, low flux tube, but also to a certain extent, um, slee stack is pretty much gone. Um, we're left with these smooth ambient textures, um, these loping uh, melodic figures, um, this very uh, enhanced uh, production value, the, this sort of drifting um, ambience over the top of everything. It's the same band, but to a, a fledgling listener, um, it kind of sounds like a different band, right? I agree with all that completely. No surprise. But I, I, think, I think it needs to be said that when you were following them, and I think we're together in this in terms of we probably bought that new or fairly new in terms of like we knew the previous stuff. This was right. brand new. We bought it. We listened. I remember being pretty shocked then. And I knew old then. I think I think over time it felt like it seemed obvious that that was old, you know, yeah. after you get to know it. But I, as as you say, I think a new listener, somebody who's really brand new to them, that is very, very different. So it kind of took me back to that first time I heard it, right? Sure. But I think by the second or third or fourth time I got into it, I was like, okay, this makes total sense after the shock. It does, yeah. Can we it's mention like Angel Rat and Voivod again? Because yeah. that's, a, that's another example of that. Like you're shocked. This is not that, but it is. And then you realize sort of to what extent, I guess, right? Yeah, I would say more so than like a, than a one second, you know? Ah, right. Yeah, that was, a, that was kind of an obvious break. Yeah, like, like to me, like Angel Rat and Formula are just part of like the evolutionary path. Like they Absolutely. Make, yeah. Had to happen. Yeah, had to happen. Yeah, yeah. Totally agree with that. Um, and, you know, One Second's a good one too because that was – you always felt there was an album between that and Draconian that just exactly. was never presented. Right. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. Hey, oh, stuff. hey, we got a good drummer. We're going electronic. <laughs> right. Yeah, as soon as they got a good guy – like he was, he was being replaced by programming. Uh, that's a whole nother story for a whole nother time. Yep. Requiem podcast have probably covered that because they are probably. massive Paradise Lost fans as any good person should be. Yeah. What's, what's really fascinating to me about Formula, well, there are many things. One of them is that it does actually get heavier at the end. Like there are two songs called Rid and Amoeba. And these actually have hostility and aggression and noise again. And mm -hmm. I don't know if that's deliberate or just kind of the way I'm, I'm assuming everything old did was deliberate in terms of sequencing. And I think they were that artful. Yeah, they were that artful. Exactly. And the, the second thing that is kind of interesting about this album is that at least right now on Wikipedia, they claim that this is the worst selling earache record of all time. <laughs> I don't know if that means at the time it was released and kind of, you know, in the, in the first year, you know, which is always the most, you know, the highest selling you're going to get usually with an album mm -hmm. or like if, if they're talking about like in 2018, this is still the worst earache album in terms of sales. Amazing. Yeah. So and like, so like ultra violence has sold more records than 
than old. Here's what I want to say. And I agree with you on ultra violence, but I, here's what I want to say. Every motherfucker that bought dub war back then and did not buy formula by old should be shot <laughs> in a public square, in a public square right. with rubber bullets. I don't want anybody killed, but I'm just saying like, that's, it just messes with me. Yeah. I, I totally agree that. with that. That anybody would do that. I totally agree with that. And support that. <laughs> While we're talking thuggish, we might as well play the song Thug. This is uh, the final snippet of the night. Thanks for hanging in with uh, so much of our conversation and verbiage and craziness and coincidences. This song is interesting. This is Thug. This is uh, song five of seven on the album. And it, in the middle and at the end, samples a part that I haven't been able to identify in, in this day and age of everything being out there. I just haven't found where this is from, but I, I think I remember back in the day when this came out, somebody close to the band or maybe even an email with Jim or early email with Jim or letter or something uh, said, this is either regurgitation or early old live sample. Mm. I don't really know, but obviously it is. It's, it's, it sounds like early old in a club or something from regurgitation. I just, I just don't know, but this is thug and we're going to listen to a, a three minute snippet of this song. It's a longer one. Hang in there. You'll love it. Yeah! <laughs> 
you are a total hag if you don't like that. Seriously. So yeah, Alan Dubin um, uses the vocoder um, pretty prodigiously on this record. Um, I, I guess another sort of tie back to the to the eighties. But I mean, the, the vocoder sort of makes appearances in psychedelic music throughout, you know, the last three decades. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I love the way that they, like, at the end of this record, they fold back in. Like, it, it's almost like they knew that they were done. And, like, the, the use of that old sample was sort of a eulogy. Yeah. And, and then, like I said, you know, Rid and Amoeba are also very heavy. So I, I, right. again, I, I just can't, we can't know if that's deliberate unless we talk to, to James Plotkin or Alan Dubin, and perhaps we should. But I feel like they were such a conceptual band that it, it had to be deliberate. Right, right, right. And there's always that first album, but that album still makes sense in, in light of all the stuff we've talked about and listened to tonight. Uh, that first album makes sense. There's always this sort of continuity with old that-, that Exactly, I, like, yeah, no first. old album is an island. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Alan's voice on the first album is, you know, as scraping as it ever was. And yeah. their, their need to just be different and explore and, and just, you know, get far, far into left field. That was OLD. Thanks for listening. So for episode 22, we are going to be dissecting the work of Germany's pyogenesis, a chameleonic, is that a word? It is here. Band who uh, shed a bunch of skin in the first several years of their existence. We're going to be looking at their early work, their emotional death doom, all the way up to their pretty much uncategorizable record, Twin Ale Blood, which Jeff and I hold in tremendous esteem. We are among the few who do, uh, <laughs> but we think that maybe that's because people haven't heard it. And we are hoping to change hearts and minds with that episode. I think Twin Ale Blood is kind of like a hello and a goodbye at the same time. Like they arrived and then they departed. Like it was, it was finally them reaching a peak and then they bowed out real quick. You say hello, I say goodbye. I didn't mean the Beatles reference, but I'll take it any day. So thank you for listening. This is Radical Research. Dead color of night. Death color of the night. Just a deep black light. Dead color of night. Speaking of your grandma, man, we're going to listen to Total Hag. <laughs> Your grandma sounds awesome. I'm sure she would appreciate that. She wasn't a total hag, but that's cool. Yeah, yeah, let's keep it in. Here we go.